Today's program was made possible by the generous prayer and support of the faithful friends and partners of this ministry. Visit our new website at Sheila.media. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Sheila Zelensky Show for this January 24th, 2019 edition. So glad you could tune into the program today, and a great program it is. Now, very quickly before I bring my incredible guest on, I just want to touch base on a couple of things going on. So if you want any update on SWAT prayer, you need to pay attention at the end of the program. I'm going to give an update. Listen, bookmark SWATprayer.com. So I'm going to have a little update about SWAT prayer. A lot of emails have come in about it, and I'm going to provide an update at the end of the program today. So stay tuned for that, which reminds me, and I'm just going to throw this out there. Are you interested in an internship for three months with the expectation at the end of that three months is coming to work for Sheila Media? It's competitive pay, and it's very rewarding work. If you're interested in an internship, we can send you a couple of these job descriptions and a couple of options that we're assigning for this internship. So you want to be a part of an exciting, expanding, growing ministry, shoot us an email right now at info at Sheila.media, put in the subject line internship, and we'll be glad to send you out some information as soon as possible. Now, I've done a bunch of shows this week. I've already recorded with Gary Wayne, with Ted Brower, Mark Sellers, my friend, and I did an incredible show with Mike and Gail Patton on ghosts, ghouls, and spooky paranormal. That show is going to be up tomorrow. Later on today, you're going to see my show with Dr. Ted Brower. And make sure that you are checking our daily headlines. All the information is down below in the description, and you can simply go to www.sheila.media. Very exciting. There's a lot of good shows in the works. You are not going to want to miss them. Make sure you're subscribed to my YouTube channel. Just click on the little YouTube icon you can see there on your screen. And speaking of the second email that I get the most of is get, I think, 80% of my emails right now in the last month have been around people are just, they're fed up, they're tired, they're exhausted, they're overwhelmed. I mean, just with this stuff happening in New York with the abortion, New York, you've just cursed yourself there, Big Apple. The people that are cheering, it is so horrific. There's so many things going on with these kids at the Catholic boys, the mega hats, Oh, let's throw them in a wood chipper. Let's burn them up. The evil insanity is off the other end of the voltmeter, isn't it? It's just right off the rails. And so I wanted one of my purely dear good friends to join us to get into this incredible teaching. We we did a little variant of this, uh, I think, six or seven months ago. But I think it's so timely to have her back to touch on this. Listen, you're going to be very blessed by this show. It encouraged me. It is my good friend, Miss Carla Butod, minister from Texas. We're so happy to have you back on the program, Carla. Welcome. I'm happy to be back. You know, I get lots of emails. And recently, I have been getting so many emails from people who are just in despair over things that are going on in their lives. Things just seem to be chaotic. And, you know, I do a a lot of teaching on demonic spirits and casting out demonic spirits. But tonight, I wanted to bring a word of encouragement and a word of exhortation as I asked God what he wanted his people to hear. And it should have been no surprise to me because I have found myself over and over lately just encouraging people, urging them to just hang on, you know, and to encourage them in the word. And so I thought I would share some of those encouragements with your people tonight. You know, sometimes 
um, it's not easy for us especially in leadership. It's hard for us to tell other people what we're going through, but hey, we're going through it just like everybody else. And so this this message encouraged me. And so I just want to share that with y'all tonight. And you know, years ago, when I first started getting into groups and going to Bible studies and things, they passed out this test. I'm sure probably everybody has seen one, at least one, in their journey with the Lord. And it has all these descriptions on it. And you are to circle. It's like A, B, C, D under different subjects. And you are to circle the one that applies to you. I've probably taken two or three of of those kind of tests. And, um, well, it was kind of a tie between teaching and exhortation. And exhortation, as I understood it in my earlier years, I thought was kind of a yucky gift because (laughs) it usually had to do with kind of pointing out the wrong things and trying to get the person over to the right thing, which wasn't always an easy thing to do. But now I understand the need for exhortation. Over the years, as I've grown in the Lord, I call myself a cheerleader for Jesus. And that kind of is what an exhorter is. It's somebody that just cheers you on, cheers you on, and cheers you on in the Word and to bring Jesus to people. And that really is what has happened in my life because of the things that Jesus brought me through in those times of despair and how he lifted me up and he encouraged me. And and so that tends to be what I do most with other people. So I have come across some scriptures that I think are very encouraging when you're going through a terrible time. I find those, and if you have your Bibles, you can look it up, and it's in Luke chapter 22. I'm going to read verse 31 and 32. Right before this, the disciples and Jesus, they were walking along, and you'll remember they were having a conversation about, you know, who's going to be the greatest when they get to heaven, and who's going to get to sit at the right hand, and who's going to get to do this, and they were kind of having a competition among themselves, and Jesus spoke to them about that, but then he said this in verse 31. It says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. I bet that was kind of a scary thing to hear Jesus say to him. (laughs) You know, hey, Simon, Satan desires to have you, and he's going to sift you as wheat. Oh, boy. Uh, And in verse 32, Jesus said, But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Now, you may not see right away how encouraging a thing for Jesus to have said to Peter that is. But I use it a lot, and then I explain it to them by saying, okay, Jesus tells Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. Now, isn't it comforting to hear that Jesus prayed for him? This is what Satan wants to do, but I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. And then he says, and when thou art converted, now in this particular circumstance, he's not talking about being converted to a Christian or a believer. When you are converted, when you get to the other side of this sifting, strengthen your brethren. So in other words, he's telling Peter right there, you're gonna make it. Mm, That's good. Don't you love that? I mean, to hear that you're gonna make it. And so 
I found myself over and over sending these particular scriptures to people to encourage them. You're just like Peter. Yes, Satan desires to sift us as wheat. He is our adversary. But Jesus has prayed for us. He's praying for us that our faith fail not. And then when you get through this thing, when you get to the other side and you're going to make it, strengthen your brethren. This is also kind of what it says in 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. That says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Mm-hmm. Don't you love that? That's that's what it's all about. You know, there was a movie some time ago, and it was called Pay It Forward. It was a real popular movie. But you know what? Basically, that's what we are to do in the kingdom of God. We get saved, we go forward, and we want others to be saved. In the same way as this, when people are up against it, when they are feeling weak, when they don't know what to do, it's like the whole world is caving in on top of them. This is when we can encourage others that, hey, Jesus is praying for you. And then we can strengthen them. And after, in the next few verses there in Luke, in verse 33, And Peter said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. Now, we would like to think that we would be that vigilant for Jesus and his cause. And then Jesus turns and says to him, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. I bet Peter kind of thought, no way. No, there is no way that would happen. But a long time ago, because of something that happened with me, that I would have said, no way. There is no way. You, you've got the wrong person. But what I learned is that given the right set of circumstances, we're all capable of doing the unthinkable. And this is what happened to Peter. This was the sifting. This was the thing that Satan was going to bring to him and sift him as wheat. He was going to be put in a position where he knew they were going to crucify Jesus. And if they knew that Peter was with him, connected to him, well, they might kill him too. When the woman says, hey, I think he was with them. No, I don't know him. No, wasn't me. He starts denying Jesus right away. And, you know, at the end, it says how Jesus turned and looked at Peter and he went and wept bitterly. I know how that feels. And it, it doesn't really matter what the thing was because my thing is going to be different than your thing. But I was so disappointed in myself because I didn't think that I would have ever done what I did. If somebody else would know what it is and say, that? Yes, I was disappointed in myself. Just like I know Peter was sorely disappointed in himself that yes, because after he said that third time, I don't even know him, the cock crowed. And he knew immediately. He remembered what Jesus said. And he was a distance away from Jesus. But when the cock crowed, Jesus turned and looked at Peter. I can't even imagine the look that was in Peter's face when he saw the face of Jesus turn toward him, knowing that Jesus had even told him that. 
earlier. So when we go through these siftings, and each one of us, it's different. When we get through it, when we succeed, when we don't lose our faith, when we don't throw in the towel and walk away from the call that God has on our life, or or even to be a Christian, I hear some people even say, this life is too hard. It was easier when I was not a Christian. You know, I just want to quit. I always jump very quickly and say, you can't. You know how I know? Because I tried it and I couldn't. You know, when it got too tough, my faith began to fail. It was like my whole world was shaken. My belief system and everything was shaken when hell came to our house because we had lived the Christian life before I knew that Satan desired to have me and sift me as wheat. I didn't know anything about Satan. I was just a happy little Christian woman living with my husband and my children, and everything was hunky-dory until hell came to our house. And then I learned really quickly the same thing that Peter learned, and I'm going to talk about that in a few minutes. But that's what Jesus wants us to do. When you get to the other side of this thing, strengthen your brethren. It's in our brokenness. Those places that we've been broken, that the love of God can flow out of that brokenness to others. That's basically the paying it forward. Okay, so Jesus prayed for Peter that his faith fail not. In 1 John 2, 1, we are told that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Now, an advocate is a person who pleads for or in behalf of another, like an intercessor, a person who pleads the cause of another in a court of law. He prayed for you in John 17. That's the prayer that Jesus prayed before he was crucified. It says in John 17 verse 18, he is talking to God and he says, As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray for I for these alone, but for them also, which shall believe on me through their word. Now, see, Jesus is praying for all future believers right there in that prayer. Not for these alone, those that he had with him, but for them also, which shall believe on me through their word. Future believers. And that includes you and me. He goes on and says that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. So Jesus has prayed for you. I don't know what you're going through right now in your life. People tend to express how bleak everything looks. But he's prayed for us as Jesus, as our advocate, is praying for you. That should comfort us all by itself. Also in Romans 8, 27, it says, And he that searcheth the heart knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Intercession means prayer or petition to God in behalf of another. Jesus is doing that. He's doing it present tense. Jesus is right now and always doing that for us. Romans 8.31 says, What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Well, actually, Jesus knew who would be against us. That's why he said to Peter in 1 Peter 5.8, 
Peter himself tells us, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Who better than Peter to share that scripture with us? Peter had had first-hand experience with that roaring lion and his sifting. And yet, the letter he wrote is full of reassuring words of hope. In chapter 1 of 1 Peter verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse 7, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Verse 13, wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 14. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice, now that's a hard one, but rejoice that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Like Paul said in Philippians 3.10, that I may know him. We all want to know Jesus, right? And the power of his resurrection. Oh yes, we want to know his power. But then it says, and the fellowship of his sufferings. And that's when we're like, "Uh uh-oh, wait a minute. Sufferings? Yes. We are going to suffer. Jesus said, in this world you shall have tribulation. And that means trouble and pressure. But he says, be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And that word cheer means bold courage. That's what that word cheer means. It doesn't mean happy. It means bold courage. And so that's what we are to be, bold and courageous. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. Now, you know, I've gone through some reproaching, and I got to tell you, I wasn't happy when it was happening. But he's telling us that if we be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, or you should be happy. But this is true, this part right here that I'm going to read. It says, when that is happening to you, for the spirit of glory and the spirit of God resteth upon you. Isn't that beautiful? When we go through the reproaching, the persecutions, whatever the hardship is of his sufferings, when we go through that, the spirit of glory is upon us and the spirit of God resteth upon you. On their part, those who are doing the reproaching and things, talking about uh, the reproacher, Jesus Christ is evil spoken of. That's what they're doing when they are reproaching God's people. They are speaking evil of Jesus Christ. But on your part, Jesus Christ is glorified. When you take it the way, you know, without becoming combative and argumentative, when you go through the sufferings like Christ did, the way Christ did, you have the spirit of glory and the spirit of God resting upon you. It's exciting to know that when we go through or endure these sufferings as a good soldier, and by that I mean just being faithful no matter what. See, that's what I love about the story of Job. I love that that story is there because God knew Job. 
And when the devil desired to have Job and to sift him as wheat, did he not? He went through some stuff, but he was faithful to the end. Faithful to the end. He was faithful no matter what. He said, even though he slay me, yet will I trust him. That's how we need to go through these sufferings. And it's not an easy thing to do. And that's what I love about the story of Job. You know, too many people walk away from the story of Job. And about the only thing they remember is that God will take down the hedge and just about let Satan kill you. (laughs) That's not what Job was about. It was about proving God was proving Job's faithfulness. And that's what I love about it. And you know what? He made it to the end. And he was restored double. You know, he lost a lot. If you go back and read that story, it's talking about when the man first came and said there was a a whirlwind and the house fell and all your kids are dead. It says, and while that man was telling him that, another man came in and said, all your livestock is dead. Another man came in and said something else. And another man came in. I mean, right there in a span of about 15 or 20 minutes, his whole world was obliterated just about. And then when his body, he got down in his body and it was covered with the sores and they were horrible. And, you know, the wife suffered those things. Those were her children, too. She suffered those very same things. But she got to a point where she had had enough. She was in despair. She had lost everything. She could see no good. In fact, she said to Job, why don't you just curse God and die? I would call that being in a pit of despair. But that's not what Job did. He was faithful to God to the very end. And we can look at those accounts in the Old Testament. I love the Old Testament because I have found so much in those stories of the Old Testament. I have learned so much through those stories. We need to be the same way, being faithful no matter what. We all love, and we all know this scripture, Jeremiah 29, 11, where God says, For I know the thoughts or the plans that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. But not many of us were told the devil also has a plan for our lives. Just like Jesus told Peter, Satan desires to sift you as wheat. He desires to have you and to sift you as wheat. Nobody ever taught us that in Sunday school. I mean, we heard lots of stories in Sunday school, but no one ever made me aware that the devil was right there and he is like a roaring lion walking around seeking whom he can devour. We need to know that. We need to know what to do when he comes. And his plan for our lives is trouble, pressure, evil, and destruction. And we see, we see a lot of that in the world. And so I'm so thankful that Jesus has given us power over all the power of the enemy. Luke ten nineteen. You know, sometimes people will challenge me and say, it's really nothing that you do. Jesus does it all. It's all Jesus. And that's true. Jesus in us is the one who empowers us to have this power over all the power of the enemy. If we didn't need to do something, why did he give us power over the enemy? We need to have a balance. We need to have a balance. And sometimes if we concentrate too much on one thing, then we leave out the other. 
and I, I wanted to give this word of encouragement today because it's not all I talk about. It may be all I talk about when I go to a deliverance conference. I'm talking about demons and stuff. You know, some people will say, well, all you ever talk about is demons and curses. And, and I, you know, we have blessings too. And I said, well, yes, of course we do. I said, are the blessings giving you any problems? Well, no. I'm here to help you with the problems, you know, and the problems are not caused by the blessings. The problems are caused by generational curses. And you know what? Let me stop right here and say this, because we have a friend of the family, wonderful Baptist man, love him dearly. But he tells he tells me that there is no such thing as generational curses. It was all dealt with at the cross. You know, I know that it was all dealt with at the cross, but you know, what What do you say to somebody? And that was what I said to God when I left. I just thought, okay, you know, I'm not going to get into an argument over this. But when I left, I said, Lord, what would you say to somebody who says there's no such thing as generational curses? I wasn't expecting an answer right away, but I got an answer right away. I heard the Lord say to me, if there was no such thing as generationally inherited curses, there would be no need for anyone to be saved because the generational curse that started with Adam and Eve is still in effect today. It is in effect until you have to come to Christ in order for that curse to be broken. It also says in the Ten Commandments, it says you are to have no other gods before him, make no images and all of that. And it says the sins of the fathers are revisited upon the children of the third and the fourth generation. It tells you right there, the iniquities of the father, of them that hate me, he said. But that doesn't mean the same thing as we think. That word hate has to do with loyalty. So what God is really saying is the sins of the fathers are visited upon the children of the third and the fourth generation of those who have not been loyal to me. And all of us, before we came to Christ, we were our own God over our lives. We were our own God, which is idolatry. That is not loyalty to God. We were loyal to our own selves. So yes, we need to know that we have an adversary and we need to know what to do with him. But right now, what I'm finding is that so many people are like losing faith. Their, their faith is weakening because of all of the trouble and the pressure and the destruction and, and things in their families and finances and their jobs and their churches even. And so here are some more scriptures that I encourage people with. And it's from Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. A lot of these emails that I'm getting, and, and they describe to me what's going on in their lives, it sounds pretty much like this, without form and void, chaotic. It says, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. They feel that there is so much darkness upon them. It says, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And then it begins to talk about God putting things back in order. 
let there be light, let there be vegetation. He begins to call things into order. And could that be said of your life today, that things are chaotic? Everything seems to be in confusion and without form and void. It has no it has no plan to it. It has no purpose. And, and people are beginning to fall into despair. If that is the case in your life today, then you can have hope because God is the one who can put things back in order. I remember years ago, back in the early 80s, Mike and my marriage was, I mean, dead. I'm talking dead. We were two people living in the same house. It was just horrible. We didn't talk to each other. I was in a depression. He didn't know what to do with me. I didn't know what to do with me. He didn't know how to help me. I didn't know how to help myself. It was just, it was without form and void. Darkness was upon us. There was no light, no life, no joy, no nothing. It was awful. And I remember going to God and saying, marriage was your idea and mine is broken and I don't know how to fix it. And I'm just asking you, if if this is not going to end in divorce, I need you to tell me what to do. I need to know what to do because I don't know what to do. And I'm telling you, he began to give me instruction. And then as I was obedient in that instruction, he gave me another instruction. And as I began to be obedient to the things that he told me to do, God put our lives in order. We fell in love all over again. It was better than falling in love the first time. There is hope. I don't care what your situation is. It may be total darkness, but God said, let there be light. And guess what? There was light. And that is the good news that I want to bring you tonight. I don't care what's going on. I don't care how hopeless it feels. Jesus is praying for you that your faith faileth not. Remember when the disciples were in the boat, they were going from one side of the lake to the other, and they got in the middle of the lake, and this big storm blew up. And you know what? We live on a lake, and it is amazing how quickly the conditions on that lake can change. It can be as smooth as glass, and then a storm blow up. Not long ago, a friend of ours called Mike in a panic. She and her husband and children had gone out in the boat, and a storm blew up rather quickly, and they couldn't get to the land in time. The waves were coming over and filling up the boat. Well, thank goodness they were close enough to land that they could get the boat, but the boat did be underwater. Mike went over there and helped them turn the boat around backwards and get the motor at least up out of the water, but the boat was completely filled with water. And it's just amazing how that water and the wind can cause the water to wash over into the boat and just near, and sink it if they hadn't gotten to land quick enough. That's what happened to the disciples. And Jesus, however, was asleep in the back of the boat. And what's happening? The water is coming up over the boat. They're panicking. They wake Jesus up and say, Lord, Lord, don't you care that we're going to perish? And Jesus stood up and spoke to the wind and the waves and said, peace, be still. And the wind and the waves obeyed him. So it doesn't matter how bad the storm is. Storms are going to come our way. But when they come, if Jesus is in the boat with you, there's hope. 
as long as you have Jesus in the boat. So the last thing you want to do is turn your back and walk away from Jesus in a time like this. In fact, sometimes people, you know, it's like, I just feel like God has just totally abandoned me. Well, let me tell you, it is written. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And you know what that word forsake means? It means let go of. He will never let go of us. It's us letting go of him. Don't let go of him when times get bad. The storm that Adam and Eve had in the garden after they had sinned, they knew they had sinned. They felt the separation from God. And yet when they heard God come and they hid from him, don't hide from God. Go to God. He's the answer. He is the only hope that we have in these situations. People might be able to comfort you, but but they're not the answer. Jesus is the answer. So is Jesus in your boat? That's important. You got to have Jesus in your boat. Now, we can look back like whenever I talk about these stories in the Old Testament is if your life is in a mess, listen, the same could be said of the messes that were made by the very first two people, Adam and Eve. They made a mess. It was a mess after the fall. What about Abram and Sarah? They had Ishmael. They had the promise of Isaac, and yet they got tired of waiting, and they were going to help God out. And so they took this, the little handmaiden and gave the handmaiden to Abraham, and then he got her pregnant, and they had Ishmael. It was a mess. I'll tell you, this story was a comfort to me. My daughter had gotten pregnant out of wedlock. And it broke her daddy and my heart. Our hearts were broken over that. Because, you know, we had the dream of her getting married and Mike walking her down the aisle and all of these things. And all of that got hijacked. It was the disappointment. It was the heartbreak. It was the broken dreams. It felt so hopeless and things seemed so dark and all of these things were happening. And one day I was standing at my kitchen counter chopping onions and tears were just not because of the onions. I was crying before I cut the onions, but I was just so heartbroken thinking about what a mess she had made of her life and everything. And God so sweetly whispered to me, you know, my plans for her life have not changed. And I just, I mean, I actually just gasped like that. Really? Lord. And he said, look at Abraham and Sarah. My perfect plan was Isaac. They didn't go with my perfect plan. They went another route, but it didn't change the promise of Isaac. Don't you find that beautiful? I just love that. That so encouraged me. It buoyed me up. I went from tears to rejoicing in a split second just by the one word that God said, look at Abraham and Sarah. And I had to look at Abraham and Sarah and see, yes, they made a mistake, but it did not derail the plan that God had. So that's what I want to tell you tonight. You, you may be in a mess, but guess what? God's plan for your life has not changed. It has not changed. So there's hope. As long as you have breath, there is hope. If Jesus is in your boat, you have hope. And Jesus is praying for you that your faith faileth not. And when you get to the other side of this, strengthen somebody else that's going through the same thing. That's what is so awesome. Look at Moses. 
God told Moses he was going to be a deliverer. He jumped ahead of God. He tried to deliver somebody that was being mistreated by in a slave situation, and he killed the person. He killed the man. That wasn't God's perfect plan. That wasn't what God meant when he told Moses he was going to be a deliverer. But see, sometimes we, we miss it. We mess it up. And I tell you what, I've been in some messes. And sometimes, I mean, I just have to say, and this this is not a bad thing to say, Lord, I can't fix this. If I could, I would, but I can't fix this. I'm asking you to fix this. You know, when you have a misunderstanding with somebody and there's there's no fixing it. Sometimes the other person won't even speak to you. Lord, I can't fix this. I'm asking you to fix this. And he does. If you let him, you know, one time I asked, I asked God to do something. I went back and and got involved trying to fix it myself. And I had a visual. God had gotten up off the throne to help me. But when I started trying to go back and try to fix it myself, he backed up and sat down on the throne. God works with me a lot with pictures. Anyway, I saw that in my mind, in the spirit. I saw God back up and sit down and say, well, I thought she wanted me to help her, but I guess if she wants to do it, I'll let her. And I was like, get up, get up, get up. I'm sorry. I won't touch it. I won't touch it. But it was just so real. And sometimes we do that. Sometimes we need to just give it to him and let him work it out. What about Joseph? Joseph's life got into a mess. Of course, he had a problem keeping his mouth shut. He had these dreams, and they were great dreams. But you know what? Let me just tell you something right here. Everything that God shows you or gives you is not necessarily something you need to tell other people about. You remember Saul, his uh, his dad's donkeys got lost. So Saul is going to go out and find these donkeys. He and I think he had somebody else with him. They went looking for these donkeys and they decided to go to Samuel and see if Samuel could tell them where these donkeys were. Well, God had another plan in this whole search for the donkeys and Samuel, God told Samuel to anoint Saul to be king. He was going to be the first king. So Saul anointed him and told him some things that were going to happen to him on the way home. And sure enough, they happened just like Samuel said. But when he got back home, his uncle came out to greet him and said, basically, where have you been? Your your dad's been so worried about you. The donkeys are here. We've got the donkeys. Come in and tell us about your journey. And it says, Saul told them of all that happened, but being anointed to be king, he did not tell. And for some reason, that resonated with me. I was up in the margin of my Bible. In all caps, I wrote, wisdom, wisdom. I had a dear friend that, I mean, was going through a mess, a mess. And I had encouraged her through this mess. I knew that God was fixing to do something new in her life and that God was going to start delivering her from a lot of areas in her life that were causing her grief and things. And after he did that, and she was so excited, we were talking and I said, now listen, I know that this is awesome news about how God has freed you. I said, but when you want to celebrate your freedom, when you want to relish in all that has happened, when you want to roll around in it and just celebrate it, call me because I've been there and I will celebrate with you. But not everybody is going to celebrate 
your great freedom because there are some who will look at you in your freedom and say well who does she think she is why does she get to be so free and i'm so bound and jealousy rises up and boy you think you had a mess before (laughs) you don't want to stir up the jealousy of others when they're still in their mess so that's wisdom i'm telling you that's wisdom but here was joseph he has these dreams He's telling his brothers, even his mother and daddy, yeah, y'all are going to be bowing down to me. And it got him in some big trouble. He was a favorite in the family, and his daddy had given him this coat. Think about how the story might have been different had Joseph not bragged. I don't think his brothers would have thrown him in the pit. They really wanted to kill him, but he ended up being sold into slavery. You know, so he should have kept his mouth shut about those things. So sometimes when God reveals something to you, if you have a very close friend who loves you and who will celebrate that with you, but you can't share everything with just everybody. And sometimes the enemy will pick up on it. The enemy will start his assignments to mess it up. And I don't tell you that to make you afraid because it's just, something that I've learned that I wanted to share with you. What about Balaam? You know, Balaam had a pretty prestigious position. You know, people would come to him and there was the time that they came and wanted him to come and curse God's people because as the Israelites were going through all of these kingdoms, they were overtaking the kingdoms and one of the kings hired Balaam and wanted him to come and pray against them so that they couldn't overtake his kingdom. And so Balaam said, well, you know, let me let me pray about it. The guy spent the night with him and, and God said, no, don't go. So Balaam told him, I can't go. God said, no. So they go back and tell the the king, and the king sends a lot of lavish gifts, and they come back, and they're they're entreating him to come again. And Balaam looks behind him, and he sees all that stuff, and he's kind of liking what he sees, and and so he's going to ask God again. So he says, well, y'all spend the night, and I will inquire of the Lord. Well, then the Lord tells Balaam to go. Well, that was confusing to me as a young Christian, but I see now that we need to take God's first answer. If God says no, take no as the answer. If you go knocking on the door again and again wanting a different answer, you know, you just may get the permissive will of God, which ended up in quite a mess for Balaam. Remember, he got on the donkey, and then there was an angel of the Lord blocking the way, and the donkey runs into the wall and smashes Balaam's foot, and he starts beating the donkey, and the donkey speaks to him. That should have been something right there, but he has a conversation with the donkey. So sometimes I've been a part of a certain work, and then God tells me that it's time to get out. And, you know, people don't understand. So I went to the person in charge and I said, I'm going to have to, you know, this is going to be the last few weeks or whatever. At the end of this, I'm not going to be in this anymore. Well, no, I don't think that's God's will. You better go back and pray. It was a pastor who told me that, and I said, no, I'm not doing that. I don't need to run into any talking jackasses. (laughs) So sometimes these stories in the Bible have great lessons in them that we can learn from, not to mention King David and Bathsheba. We all know what happened there. That turned out to be quite a mess. Samson and Delilah, same thing. And then, of course, there was me and all my messes. I've had many, many messes that God has brought me through that have become areas that I can comfort other people in because I've gone through a lot of mess. 
and I can offer them the same comfort that God comforted me with. That really is what ministry is all about, you know, is it's serving. It's serving people and helping them. Okay, it says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. And I'm telling you, these are the days that we need to learn how to encourage ourselves in the Lord when we find ourselves in times of discouragement. So how do we do that? Well, for me, I go back and revisit some of those stories. Or I ask God to show me something that I need to see. I'll tell you another time that God really encouraged me. Our daughter, after her her little girl was seven years old, she got pregnant again. It was the same baby daddy. So we have two children by the same baby daddy. And my daughter has never been married to this man. So, And they're not together today. I was in a state of shock when I found out that she was pregnant again. I'm like, what? I mean, who does that twice? I mean, do we not learn from the first lesson? (laughs) Seven years later, another baby. And I was in a pit. I was in a pit for about a week heartbroken all over again, aggravated, kind of angry at my daughter that she would do this again. And she was living with us at the same time. So that was another story in itself. But Mike's mother had been really ill and I was staying with her to take care of her. And I remember it was near Christmas and I was sitting in the bedroom where I was staying at at Mike's mother's and I was just depressed. I was depressed and uh, asking God, you know, how can this be? And just really depressed. And God came and he said, Carla, you're looking at this like it's a big old mountain. And I was shocked. Because it was a big old mountain to me and to Mike, you know. And and I just kind of like threw my hands up like, it is to me. This is a big old mountain. And he said, in the grand scheme of things, this is a blip on my radar. And I was like, a blip? I can't believe he's calling it a blip. I said, Lord, a blip. And every time I said blip, something was happening. First of all, I understand now why the mountain looks so big is because usually we're looking at the mountain from the bottom of a pit. We're down, way down in the pit, and we're looking at this mountain that looks hopeless. That's what that is intended to do, is to make you be in a place of despair, depression, and hopelessness. But every time I question God about it being a blip, this is just a blip? And every time I said it, the mountain came down and I was coming up out of the pit. And after I said it about the sixth or seventh time, it was over. It was over. The despair was over. Everything. I was just, it was a miracle. I was transformed right there in that very minute. And then it occurred to me, here's one of those stories that God uses in out of the Old Testament to encourage and strengthen. It was almost like at that moment, I knew that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not prevented from going into that fire. They were thrown into that fire, that fiery furnace. But guess who was in the fire with them? Was the one they they described like the Son of Man. Jesus appeared in that fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And it is written in Daniel chapter 3, verse 27, that the fire had no 
power over them. They came out of that fiery furnace. There was not a hair singed, and they didn't even smell like smoke. Now, that is a miracle. So shortly after that, I mean, it was it was like I, I couldn't even believe what that did to me, how it bolstered me up, how it brought me back into the light, out of that darkness, but into the light, from that mess to order, and nothing physically had changed. That's the blip. It doesn't even matter. God's plan for their lives have not changed. And the fact that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not prevented from going in the fire, this is just another fire in my life that I am going to walk through and get to the other side without a hair singed, nor even having the smell of smoke. That's what God is able to do for whatever mess you may be in right now. That is the hope, okay? He took me from a mess to a miracle in an instant. That's what God can do. Look to Him for your help. Can you imagine how the disciples felt when they witnessed Jesus being crucified? You talk about despair. They were devastated. Their leader, the cause that they had joined themselves to was gone. I mean, they had all quit their jobs to follow him, and now it was over. But what they couldn't have known at the time was that it was not over. It was the beginning. It was the very beginning. And Jesus came and appeared to them in that locked room. (laughs) He just appeared. I just love that. But And Jesus said to them, Peace unto you, as Father hath sent me, even so send I you. Jesus came and put them back on track. And much of what troubles us is simply to distract us from the thing that he's called us to. Beware distractions. All the things that are happening in people's lives right now is a plot of the enemy to just wear them out and distract them from the thing that God would really have them be doing. But because we are flesh... We are weakened by those kind of things, things that come into our lives like disaster, some kind of disaster, the loss of a loved one or divorce or all manner of troubles that come into people's lives, trouble with children, trouble with finances, loss of a job or whatever it is. I really see the enemy using things like that right now to pull people away from their faith to cause them to look away from Jesus and get focused on the thing that will allow the enemy to come and devour. He's a destroyer. If you find yourself in a mess today, I want to leave you with these words from Hebrews 10, 35, and 36. This says, Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. And verse 36 is, For ye have need of patience, that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. That is the promise. Don't let your faith fail. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Look to Him for your help. Don't cast away your confidence. Be patient and be faithful no matter what. 
be faithful in your time with the Lord, in your reading the Word, in prayer, in worship, in fellowshipping with other believers, that after you have done the will of God, and especially ask for His help and then obey when He tells you what to do so that you might receive the promise. Okay, so I just want to pray for y'all. Come against some spirits that might be involved in this troubling, discouraging time. So, Father, right now I just cover every person with the blood of Jesus. I, I call on mighty warring angels to come and assist for all of those who are pouring out their hearts right now that have been encouraged by your word, but I want to deal with these spirits that have been troubling them. I thank you that you've given us power over all the power of the enemy. I thank you that you've given us authority to cast out devils in your name. And so right now, I just come against every spirit of fear, every spirit of fear, doubt, and unbelief that has been attacking God's people with trouble and with pressure. In the name of Jesus, I command you to get out of God's people right now. All fear spirits go, doubt and unbelief. The spirit of discouragement, I break your power and command you to go. All spirits of despair, downheartedness and disheartment. All those spirits go now in Jesus' name. Bear, you got to go. Downheartedness, go. And disheartment, go in Jesus' name. Depression, I bind you and break your power. Spirits of death, curses of death, I break your power off God's people in Jesus' name. All spirits of oppression, despondency, you go. All pessimistic spirits, go in the name of Jesus. All loss of confidence, I bind you in the name of Jesus Christ and command you to leave God's people. Dejection and moodiness, mood swings, you go in Jesus' name. All disappointment, you know, when things don't go our way, disappointment comes. The enemy wants to come and tear you down. I come against all the lying spirits that are telling you right now that this is never going to change. You're headed for the end. All of those lies of the enemy, I bind that lying spirit and command to shut up and go in Jesus name. All spirits of hopelessness. Hopelessness you go in Jesus name. We have the greatest hope in Jesus Christ. So hopelessness you go. Go. Get out of God's people now. I come against that spirit of magnification where Satan wants to take a magnifying glass and just make everything so much bigger than it is. I bind you and break your power in Jesus name. I come against all those distractions and tormenting spirits. All her Harassment and agitation by the enemy. You go in Jesus' name. All weariness, being weary in well-doing. I just break your power of being weary in well-doing in Jesus' name. Spirits of fainting and drawing back. I come against all those spirits of opposition, all spirits of hindrance and intimidation, all spirits of defense feet, deterrence, and setbacks. I command you to go in Jesus' name. I come against all the sorrow and grief because things are not going the way you hoped. All sorrow and grief. I bind you and break your power. Fret, worry, anxiety, all spirits that cause you to fret and worry and be anxious. High blood pressure, digestive problems. Go in the name of Jesus. Heart problems. You go in the name of Jesus. The fear of the unknown while in the midst of the storm, being fearful of what's going to happen, fearful of the future. I bind you and break your power. 
uh, speak to the spirits of chaos and confusion. You go in the name of Jesus. All the spirits that cause you want to quit and throw in the towel, I bind you and break your power. We are not quitters. We are overcomers in the name of Jesus. I bind all spirits of fatigue, all spirits of infirmity, and all spirits of weakness because of fear and doubt and unbelief, discouragement, disappointments, depression, you go in the name of Jesus. And Father, I loose upon your people tonight. I loose upon them hope and courage. I loose upon them strength and might. I loose upon them the power, the spirit of glory and the spirit of God. I loose upon them vitality, a lively hope. I loose upon them hope in the name of Jesus. I loose upon them resurrection life. I ask you, Father, for a fresh anointing to be upon your people, a fresh anointing of love, a fresh anointing of peace, a fresh anointing of your Holy Ghost, a fresh filling of your Holy Ghost and grace to endure. I loose upon your people valor and perseverance. And Father, I loose upon them patience right now that after having done the will of God, they will receive the promise. I loose upon them the ability to focus and to stay focused on what you want them to do, Lord. And I ask that you would speak to them clearly and and give them instruction as to what to do in this time. We thank you that you're in the boat with us through whatever storm we are in. And we know that we're going to make it to the other side because you are praying for us. And I just loose upon them the ability after they get to the other side, after they are converted and get to the other side, that they can can and will be able to comfort others with the same comfort that they have received from you. I ask you to bless your people tonight, Father. I ask for a special blessing upon your people. I pray that when they lay their heads down tonight, there will be an element of peace. There will be an atmosphere of peace because your word has strengthened them and encouraged them tonight. I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. That was so powerful, Carla. Now, I want you to talk real quick. You're going to be out there in Colorado, the spring conference. Of course, the dates there are listed below. You can also go to Monty's website, WCCD.com. I've got that information linked below. If you're anywhere in the Colorado area or even doesn't matter where you are, try to get out to this because a lot of people come back and they say, wow, it is really life changing. And you're going to meet some amazing like-minded people. So again, that's coming this spring. Carla talk a little bit about that but also we've got a very powerful arsenal that is a must-have it's not a sales pitch this is an arsenal that'll teach you how to pray effectively we're getting so many emails it's a five-star rank on Amazon so that's power prayers subtitled Warfare That Works, written by myself and Carla. We'll start by giving out your website first, Carla. Carla Butad, C-A-R-L-A-B-U-T-A-U-D.com. My itinerary is there. I'm going to be in uh, Colorado with the monkeys. It just blesses me to hear how it's changing people's ability to pray and to uh, take authority over the enemy. And the results that they're getting is just amazing. Power prayers, warfare that works. And you can go to powerprayers.ca. There you go, folks, powerprayers.ca, and we really appreciate Carla coming on the program today. We're running out of time, so very quickly, I want to just mention that go bookmark swatprayer.com. 
That's SWATprayer.com. Listen, I had asked for leaders. I created a bit of a Frankenstein monster, a headache for myself because I got over 1,400 people that want to be a part of SWAT. Many of them did not identify themselves as leaders. So I got to kind of go back to the drawing board and figure out what I was trying to do is, is get a point man, for lack of a better word, for each state, because without inputting at least someone for each state, we can't really put this together. So don't be intimidated by the word leader. We just need to identify someone so we can connect all these other people in the state. And I think the leaders will just come out of that themselves. So we kind of went back to the drawing board. I have a different idea I'm going to talk more about that next week. Uh, I think I've come up with an idea rather than having to try to sort through over, well, it's close to 1,400 emails. We just don't possibly have the time or resources to do this unless somebody wants to volunteer. (laughs) So my web team and I have a meeting tomorrow, and we're going to try to get this thing. We're working on it. Trust me. We are working on it. We got your emails. We've heard loud and clear that you do want to be a part of it. People are hungry for it, and we look forward to giving you updates. So we'll see you real soon. Love you all. Good night, and God bless.